electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. After a record run for your money, what is the best strategy for the next several months? Our investment committee debating that and making some big moves in this market we're going to discuss and debate that with Jim Labenthal, Pete Nigeri, and Jenny Harrington is the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Rob Seachin is with UBS Private Wealth Management. He is one of Forbes' top 100 financial advisors. Happy Friday. Good to see everybody. Let's go to the wall, check the markets. We're pretty much highs of the day. Dow's up 181, 30,150. All three of the major averages hitting record highs yet again today. Shannon, I begin with you because you have made some very interesting moves in your portfolio, both what you have trimmed and what you have added to. First, to what you have trimmed. Apple and Microsoft. Tell me why. So really two different stories here, Scott. First of all, I'll start with Microsoft. Um, As I've talked about on the show, this is our largest holding and remains uh, very high conviction for us. We still have a lot of um, confidence in Azure and the end-to-end software integrations that Microsoft offers, but this is a huge overweight for us. And from a portfolio construction standpoint, it was time to trim. Apple, on the other hand, uh, you know, we've seen a significant run-up, 75% in the last year, and we really feel like a lot of that has come on multiple expansion. We've gone from about 15 times to about 27 times, and although we do believe in the services story and the monetization of that base as it relates to all of us who hold those iPhones in our hands every day, um, we do think that over the course of the next year or so that there are probably better opportunities. And so we've trimmed our Apple position back from a market wave to an underweight. We're going to continue to hold the stock and maybe look for opportunities to add back to it. But at this point in time, we think that there are better opportunities in the market. Wow. I mean, that's a big call, big commentary around Apple. Let's be honest, though. A lot of those stocks, Shannon, in that universe, the fangs, are multiple expansion stories. But you're singling out Apple for the one that you've decided to trim from and take your exposure down. Well, I think we're in the midst of this upgrade cycle, right? And I think that there has been some enthusiasm ahead of the upgrade to the newest iPhone away from the 6 and into the 12. And so I think that there is some runway here from a hardware perspective. Um, I just think that there's a lot of owners of this stock who are looking at it in terms of, is this the stock I want to go into 2021 with economic momentum in the back half of the year, with a lot of this cyclical rotation that we're going to sure talk about today as we have over the last couple of months. And I just think that in looking at where I want to place my bets, I, I think that it probably makes sense to just pull back a little bit here. Again, there might be an opportunity to add to this position. And if we see services continue to grow in importance, then you know that might be that time. But I think this is where we think you can take a little bit of money off the table in some of these 
FANG STOCKS and, AND GET SOME OTHER OPPORTUNITIES. OKAY. SO WE'LL GET TO EVERYBODY IN A SECOND. BUT SHANNON, I CONTINUE WITH YOU FOR A MOMENT BECAUSE YOU ADDED TO SMALL CAPS, YOU ADDED TO INTERNATIONAL, AND YOU ADDED TO EMERGING MARKETS. THIS SORT OF REMINDS ME OF WHAT JOSH WAS SAYING YESTERDAY, HOW THE FANGS HAVE TAKEN THIS PAUSE AND THESE OTHER AREAS OF THE MARKET HAVE STARTED TO REALLY DO WELL. ENERGY, FINANCIALS, TRAVEL, THE RUSSELL, EMERGING MARKETS. IS THAT THE PLAY THAT YOU'RE TRYING TO MAKE AS WELL? To some extent, I want to caution, I don't believe that you need to make a full-scale rotation out of the names that have done well, some of which are some of these growth names that we're talking about here, to a completely cyclical pro, uh, portfolio. What I do think, and one of the things that we've talked about, and Josh has talked about this, and Joe's talked a lot about this, is that we need this breadth, this broadening out of equities to occur in order for gains to be sustainable into next year. And what you need to do is you need to see money coming from places that have done well, investment grade bonds, cash, gold, into equities. And so we think that that makes sense to add to other asset classes outside of U.S. large cap, small caps, emerging markets, international, because the valuations are attractive there. And so for me, adding risk to my portfolio, I can still hang on to some of these positions, still gonna hold Apple, still gonna hold Microsoft, but I can add that cyclical exposure in other places without necessarily having to make a binary call on whether I think United Airlines is going to go up another 50%. So that's how we look at it from a portfolio perspective. I think there's opportunities here for investors, particularly if they've only been in large caps, there are other places that you can put your money that have more cyclical exposure just because of the way those indexes are built. Okay, Pete Najarian, let's get to it right now, yes, okay? Because you have, you have so many moves I want to get through and I want our viewers to hear all, all of these. You bought shares sure. of Walgreens, okay? Stocks down 28% year to date. You added to Micron, and then you bought a whole bunch of calls and things I'll talk about in a minute. But the stock you bought in Walgreens and you added to Micron, talk to me. Well, I'll start with the Walgreens. And what, what I found interesting, Scott, is this. Every time that Amazon is rumored or does go into a specific category for competition, everybody sells it off. And I think that creates opportunity. And we've seen this time and time again. We've seen it uh, when they were going in to the uh, grocery area and Kroger's. And Kroger's dropped as much as it did. And they've gone into other areas. Best Buy dropped significantly. By the way, Best Buy, all it does is seem to want to go higher. It's not up there right now, but it was pushing all-time highs not too terribly long ago, still hovering around up in that level. So when I, when I saw this news that came out that they were going into the competition and Amazon's going to competing with CVS and Walgreens, I just thought that that was a great opportunity to buy Walgreens. So I did. And I'm going to use that implied volatility that we've got still in a name like Walgreens where I can actually sell options against it, Scott. I will probably, unless something dramatically changes, this will be one of those names that's going to be in my portfolio that's going to turn into a Merck for me or a Pfizer for me or any of those kinds of names where I think I've bought it at the right price and I think I can hold it for a long period of time. All you've got to do is take a look at that chart in Walgreens and it says it all in terms of where this stock was and where it likely could return to, in my opinion. Now, I think they do a great job in competition. I think they're obviously a global company. So there's a lot of different aspects of why I think Walgreens works. When it comes to Micron, all I do is see semiconductor activity every single day, Scott. And we talk about a lot of these names. And by the way, I'm proud of Farmer Jim. I think you stuck it through an Intel, Jim, but I'm right there with you. As a matter of fact, stock back up towards that 52 level. Micron, all we see is buying, 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 buying every single day. I've seen 
huge chunky options being bought in there on a regular basis scott i like the stock already i already own the stock i added to the stock i had some calls those already went up so fast that i decided to take those off but i'll continue to be in the stock and i'm going to turn this one also into one of those situations where i think fundamentally they are positioned well. I love what they've got in terms of going forward in the 5G market. So I think there's a lot of different aspects of what Micron can do, why this stock actually can be a stock that can continue to rise. It's already gotten up and through the 70s. I don't see why it can't get up towards 85. I talked about AMD a while back. Mm -hmm. We had nothing but option paper in there. And that's another one of these names that I think eventually could probably reach towards 100. I don't know when that day will happen, but I don't think it's all that, all that much into the distant future. Yeah, I see that you bought AMD. AMD calls, you, you bought Nautilus calls, makes sense to me, you're probably spending yep. like five hours a day on the Nautilus machine anyway, so that makes sense. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, yeah. mm -hmm. Biotechni, IQ, TJX, Under Armour, Delta Airlines, Palantir, you bought calls in all of those. Yeah, and Palantir is, it, I will tell you right now, that is only a trade. There are names out there that I, I like the names, I look for opportunities, and I strike when the opportunities are in front of me. Palantir is a name that, obviously, we're all just watching this thing as it's not, too, it's not been trading all that long. The options in there absolutely are off the charts, Scott. I mean, it's amazing to me to see a name like Palantir that jumps into the options world right away, of course, and I already see them in the top three, top five, almost on a daily basis. It tells you how much of an appetite there is for certain names right now in the markets, Palantir being one of them. But when I look at it, this is strictly a trade. I am not married to this one one, one bit, but I think there are opportunities out there like I see across many different areas. Riot is one of these other names that's absolutely been on fire. We see paper in there, it seems like every single day, large option paper. And those are names that I, I don't believe them in the long term in terms of where they are right now. And I think valuations and all that, you can't even put valuations on some of these names. But I do think there are opportunities to trade a lot of these names in the markets right yeah. now. Um, Jim Labenthal, you know, since we're talking about valuations, um, you bought Salesforce, which is an interesting move for somebody like you. It's outside of my comfort zone. It's that's, outside of my comfort zone. I know. I'm sorry to jump in front of you, Scott. No, that, but you're, you're, yeah, channeling, I mean, I think that's where you're, you're channeling my thoughts exactly. In fact, when I saw yeah. that you had bought Salesforce, I sort of sat back in my de chair at my desk and was like, Jim? Farmer Jim? Or another yeah, Jim? Well, Jim? So another okay. Jim? I mean, Jim okay. Kramer buying Salesforce. I said, like, okay, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Guy knows his company, likes Benny off. Sky Farmer Pilot? Jim? What happened to Sky Mr. Pilot Valuation? Jim? No. I yeah, well, okay, so let's talk about it for a second, because you'll remember two days ago, you and I and others were talking about the software stocks. I said at the time that Salesforce stands apart, particularly on a valuation basis. Look, it is 60 times earnings. It's not 600 times earnings. On the other hand, you've got something special in Mark Benioff. You have to recognize that. I also have to say, I think the Slack deal makes a lot of sense. I think it's great defense against Microsoft Teams and against Zoom, while at the same time giving Salesforce a new business line to get into. Yeah, but they got but in there to look, play offense, let's discuss though, Jim, the right? They didn't get that to play defense. They well, got they, that to play offense, right? <laughs> Benioff wants to knock Microsoft both. on its tail. It's a two-way player. It's a two-way player. It absolutely gives them a new means of growth. They've already got the camel's nose under the tent in the customer relationship management software with just about every company in the world. Now they can get Slack in there just as easily. Um, 
the valuation is what it is. And because of it, I only nibbled. I've got, look, I'm not buying a security here. I'm buying an insecurity at this valuation. I'll see how it goes. The perverse thing here, Scott, is you actually don't want this stock to come down to a more attractive valuation. That would indicate that something's broken in it. So look, I, I nibbled here. I nibbled. I want to own the company because it's a fabulous company. I don't really like the price, so I'm just nibbling. I hope to add to it over the coming months. Okay. Interesting move from you, nonetheless. We'll come back to you in a minute. But Rob Seach in this, this is interesting. This says to me what I've heard from Shannon and from Farmer Jim is that it's the time to buy value. It's a time to maybe rotate out of some of the fangs or at least trim a little bit of money, put that into value. Those stocks have been a little stagnant lately, too. Um, and it's time to buy growth. That you can buy high valuation growth if you buy the right stocks, like a Salesforce, like a Snowflake, like a Okta, like some of these other names that we talked about earlier in the week and raised questions about their valuations, and then they all knocked it out of the park. And the stocks really surged after that. And I know some of them, maybe Zscaler and whatever, are pulling back a little bit today. But is it that time? Is it that time to just buy value and growth? Well, I think you can buy the right growth. I think those companies have to continue to hit it out of the park to continue to stay engaged. And I'm not willing to make those type of bets in client portfolios. We focused on quality growth. Quality growth has done very, very well, and I'm not able to pick those that are going to be the surgical winners in the very growthy growth areas. I think it's a very dangerous game when you're a fundamentalist like me to be chasing those type of stocks right here. I am a big, big believer that we are in the infancy stages of this uh, rotation to value. I know it's it, we've had an enormous pop since Jenny and I were on the show last time together in August, and we talked about this breakout in value. And we said, is it for real? Well, you've seen it in performance thus far. You're also seeing it in flows. In November, flows into value were nine times what we saw into growth. Growth was still positive, but nine times into, uh, into value ETF flows versus growth. And I think what you're going to see as you head into next year is that the fundamentals are ultimately going to start to catch up. So you get, you get that sentiment that begins it, the flows that follow it, and then you ultimately get the fundamentals at the end of the day that allow value to stay a leader. So I would say if you want alpha next year, I think it's a very dangerous place to play in the really growthy growth sectors well, because the Robin Hood investors now can bet on sports again, my friend. Yeah, but, and, you know, they're not always going to be there. But what if I told you that these techs are up because of fundamentals, because the, the digitization genie is out of the bottle because of COVID and there ain't no going back, Rob, so that the stocks that Listen. are up a lot are up a lot for a reason, even though the fundamentals may have to, you know, they have to catch up to the stock price a little bit. They're there for a reason, just not out of thin air like some of the 2000 stocks were, the pets.com and these other things. But you don't have the same margin of safety that you do if you buy something at the right price, Scott. I would rather focus on playing that same opportunity through buying a Salesforce than buying a Slack. Yes, I could, yes, I could benefit tremendously if they happen to get acquired. But the reality of it is there's other ways to play that game. I'm not abandoning the growth trade. I think that would be a huge mistake because you're right. These companies are here to stay. What I'm saying is cyclical optionality in 2021 
is what's going to allow investors to outperform. And where you get that cyclical optionality is in some of the places that Shannon just talked about, which are small cap, industrials, uh, mid cap, non-US, specifically M, which has other tailwinds associated with it. And by the way, if you're really, really, really brave and you want to play a trade, so there's going to be some long-term winners in, in the cyclical place and some short-term trades that you can play. I'd look to energy, even though we're neutral on it. Um, there's a cyclical pickup in demand and a secular decline in output. And when you think about that, Energy is still down for the year a lot. Yes, it's up 28% here recently, but it's down a lot. And I think if you're a trader type investor, a hedge fund that's looking to play catch up, you're going to buy that. And you're going you're to be well served in the short run for buying that. Well, you've From already, well, here's the problem. Mark, you've already been well served in, in energy most recently. One month. You know how much energy is up in a month, Rob? I do. It's right. in the mid-20s. No, it's, 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 30, it's now 32.5%. So, you, okay, you, so you've been rewarded if you've been in there. But now you're telling me I got a lot more to go in energy? So let, let's look. What is energy down year to date? It's still down in the mid-30s. So if you're a portfolio manager that needs to catch up, and again, I want to preface this by saying that we're not overweight energy yet, but it's a trade that I'm considering because of the fundamental demographic that I just outlined to you mm -hmm. on this call. Let me After year-end tax selling plays out, and energy is one of the only sectors that you can, you, you can mitigate some of the gains you have by selling off, I'm going into next year and thinking, that might be interesting. I also think we get into an environment in, in mid-2021, I know a lot of people think everything's going to be different this time and we're going to tr change the way we do everything. I actually think there's another risk that we get into a roaring, roaring 20s type environment in mid-21 with all the pent-up demand. I know I know, I want to get out there as soon as I take the vaccine. Well, I know a lot of other people that do too. It's no so accident. economic activity is going to accelerate. It's no accident, Jenny, that exactly what Rob's talking about is the reason why Carnival Cruise is up 73.5% in one month, Norwegian 62, Boeing 55, American Airlines 48, United 47.5, I've got Marriott up 37%, Las Vegas Sands and Hilton. Those are all about the Rob plays, right? The pent-up demand, the big pickup in, in the economy next year. But I wonder if a little of this is too much too soon. Those are huge gains for just one month. And there are still a lot of uneven questions about where the economy is. The jobs number today was a miss. The vaccine rollout is, you know, it's going to be tricky. They're huge gains, but I think what's more important, rather than looking at just what they're up in one month, is looking where they are still year to date. And I think that that's more telling. I also think that it's a little um, naive to lump United Airlines with Marriott, because those are very, very different stories, or airlines with hotels. Hotels are going to have a much easier and much quicker recovery than the airlines. And that has that goes into their financials and their balance sheets and all sorts of other stuff. But also, it has to do with the way people are going to return and the way that people pay for airlines. So I don't like looking at all those together from an investment perspective. From a trading perspective, sure, lump them together. But from a long-term investment perspective, I think you need to break them out. Okay. Uh, well, that's interesting. Um, do you guys agree with that? Break them out? I do. I do. I do, Scott. I think exactly what she said. 
the secular headwinds in, in the airlines, the secular headwinds in the energy space, those are things that are not going away. We know there's a massive change happening in those areas of the market. However, I think in the short run, you can trade those. Then you, you kind of pivot to some of the other things uh, in the value space, let's say financials. I have, actually think that we could overshoot to the upside in rates and economic activity is going to accelerate. And I think financials are going to be longer term beneficiaries of that. Uh, we've talked about these fits and starts. It starts today. It, well, it started. It continues today. Right. I think we continue to it see started in the this beginning value of rotation. Say it again. Jenny, what? Oh, sorry. It started when when Rob said it starts today. Like, it really started the fits and spurts of that valuation um, narrowing really started in the beginning of September. Yeah. That's when we started to fact, see things Jenny, start, we were the, on together the divergence then. start to narrow. Pete, this, <laughs> right, this idea, your, your palantir, <laughs> you. <laughs> Pete, your palantir plays into this, you know, this this conversation about growth versus value and whether, you know, this week could have been an inflection point for a lot of those high valuation, high flying, high growth companies. And we discussed yeah. at the beginning of the week whether there was a risk of, you know, there was downside risk because these stocks have, have run up so much. Mm -hmm. Maybe the inflection point actually turns out to be that they have proved, a lot of them have proved their metal. They've proved their their yeah. value, the reason why they are there. DocuSign, for example, was a subject of a debate that we had earlier in the week. Uh, that stock's surging sure. on their upbeat outlook. You know, there are reasons why some of these stocks have done what they've done. And just because you're going to reopen the, co the economy and get to some semblance of normalcy, hopefully in 2021, doesn't mean that those stories that benefited so much now are going to come to an end. Totally agree, Scott. I mean, I, I, I think that's exactly right. The reality is that we will be in this hybrid society when we do come out of this. Vaccines, whenever that occurs, that's when we're going to be in this far more of a hybrid society. And, and that means a little bit of something for everybody, whether it's DocuSign or Zoom or whomever. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons that, that there are names out there that are, are they in front of themselves? Absolutely, in some cases. But I think the reality is a lot of these names will be here for the long haul. And I, and I wanted to address something. You guys were talking about it. Rob brought up energy. It's, you can buy it now. It started over a month ago. Energy and the material space and the financials. If you go back over the last month, just look at November. And I, and I think Jenny mentioned October. But if you just start at the beginning of November and see where all of those have moved to now, especially the beta names in energy. Now, we've had some nice moves out of Chevron and Exxon and BP and a lot of those names. But how about the moves that you've gotten out of Apache and Diamondback and Devon and all those types of names? The, the next level, the beta names, as I like to call them, 60 plus percent across the board for some of those names. And I still think that there's upside. We why, continue why do you think to see, that, Scott, that, in this That's exactly what my follow-up was going to be. Sorry to interrupt you, Pete. That's exactly sure, what yeah. my follow-up was going to be. You're right. It has already started. Mm -hmm. And those stocks have come a long way. Right. And there are st still a lot of uneven questions about energy demand, where we're really going in terms of oil prices. I'm looking right now. We're still shy of mm -hmm. 46. We've been so in a range. What makes you think that there's still upside for some of the names that have already exploded to the upside like you have just said? Well, they've exploded the upside, but then I think to Jenny's point, she talked about, well, let's start back at the beginning of the year and see where some of those names are. I think there is upside, and the upside is they can still recapture some of where they, they, they've moved, 
but I think there's still left a move to be able to get back to anywhere close to where they actually started out, Scott. And we've watched the price of oil, and quickly, we've watched this move that's gone from, call it underneath 40, now all of a sudden we're looking at crude, at, you're talking about 46, so that gives you a little bit of a sign as well. Also, it's not just those names. You can even break it down over into the alternative space as well. If you want to look at a first solar or something like that, there are, there are all different ty uh, areas in the energy space right now that are working, but the material space as well, that I think is an area that has started to take off. You look at the XLB, it went from 11 to 16 in a hurry. I think this is an area that has a lot more runway in front of it, especially if these guys are talking about some of the cyclical names and, and all the rest of that. I think you could actually see some of these material names really start to move to the upside, even though they've made a pretty nice move just in the last month. So, you know, the financials specifically stand out for me, though, Scott. When we talk about that, forever we talked about what's going to make these financials finally move. We, we go back to last quarter. We went through those earnings. We had record earnings from J.P. Morgan and a few other of the banks that reported, and yet they didn't react. But now we're seeing that reaction to the upside as we've watched the 10-year get closer to 1% in a pretty pretty fast way in the mm -hmm. last month or so. And we're looking at those names and you look at a JP Morgan, 101, now it's trading 122. Uh, you, uh, you could go, Morgan Stanley was in the 50s, now it's in the 60s. So across the board, you're seeing a lot of these quality names and financials. We love the balance sheets. We love where they are. We love a lot of the different aspects of what they do, but everybody always wants to talk about the rates. Well, suddenly we're starting to see that come into play, I think, right now. So Jenny, what happens, I know it's only four basis points. What happens if rates go above 1%? I know it sounds ridiculous to ask that question, but uh, because we're still obviously in an incredibly low interest rate environment, I'm just looking at them right now. So, you know, we're not that far away from 1%. Is that a line in the sand in any way for any of the trades we're talking about, the dividend plays that you like so much, the financials, as Pete's talking about, rates creep up, financials do better? Yeah, I mean, rates creep up, financials do better. It's not a line in the sand. And so when you think about, if you're talking about rates and dividend plays, the line in the sand's like 5%, right? At that point, bonds start to become a competitive source of income for the bond equivalent equities. I think the 1% would be beneficial to the banks. It will help in net interest margins. It's not going to be terribly significant, but it is psychologically important, but there's no line in the sand. It's just a positive trajectory that we're on that says, you know, they're, I don't know, maybe it's a positive tra trajectory for banks, maybe not for the overall economy. You can kind of argue that one side says growth and the other side says inflation. Yeah. Um, I think I just want to get back into some of the points that Pete made, though. When we're talking about valuation gaps and we're thinking about energy and why that might have room to go, you need to look at things like the fact and sorry, I'm going to go all over the place here, but like rig counts are way down. So there's going to be way less energy produced, way less oil, way less gas produced um, in the next year as rig counts are down and then demand's going to come up. So you're going to see that start to buoy these stocks that are still down 38%, still down 40%. You're going to look at valuation gaps start to close because Scott, you said something before and you were saying like maybe the tech stocks are up for a reason and that's positive and that they deserve these valuations. I don't think many of them do. I think a lot of them got chased to the right valuation and then they got chased way beyond that. So we're going to see that start to moderate. And then I keep having this come back into my head over and over in these conversations, which is working versus leading. And so when we think about the tech stocks and how well they've worked, they may continue to work, but they don't necessarily need to lead. And so I think the stocks that have not, like the Marriott's, like the oil stocks, you know, the ones that didn't lead this year, 
but are still going to like still going to make money and do well next year. Those might be lead. And then we come mm -hmm. back around to what Shannon opened the whole thing with, which is what Joe and Josh were talking about, which is needing to broaden. Okay. So sorry for the convoluted, That's okay. but I just think I think we're going to see broadening. All right. No, I'm glad you made, I'm glad you made that point. I got to split for a quick break. When we come <laughs> back, a number of key earnings are out next week, including Toll Brothers, Adobe, Lululemon. We'll trade them all. Our investment committee gets you ahead of those numbers. We'll do it after the break. And a reminder: you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The half is back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. I'm Leslie Picker, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A biotech industry group will reportedly sue the Trump administration over new rules to lower drug prices. Stat News says the suit will be filed later today. A key attorney for Kyle Rittenhouse is withdrawing from the case. Rittenhouse is the 17-year-old charged with fatally shooting two people during a night of unrest in Wisconsin. Prosecutors argued that the attorney has significant financial problems and money held for Rittenhouse could get used to repay the attorney's debts. In Indonesia's third largest city, torrential rains have flooded thousands of homes. At least five people are dead. Two others, including a toddler, are still missing. And the drive to convince Americans to get vaccinated for COVID-19 is on. New York's Nassau County is using the World War II Rosie the Riveter poster in its campaign. She even has a bandage with the county seal on it. Scott, I see some Halloween costumes uh, in our future <laughs> yeah. based on that. No doubt. No doubt. As we look forward to Halloween in 21. 2021. better than Halloween in 20. Yeah. Actual Le trick-or-treating, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Less <laughs> thanks. That's Leslie Picker. Earnings out next week. A lot of different sectors, a lot of stocks that our group owns. Uh, Shanna, begin with you. We got Adobe. That is on Wednesday. Talk to me about your expectations. Let's get our viewers ahead of the numbers. Yeah, so first and foremost, takeaway, we expect this to be a good report based on uh, web traffic to the site. Uh, Creative Cloud remains the wide moat business for Adobe. And so while um, digital experience for them is more of a, a business they built through acquisition, we expect to see continued revenue subscription growth on that business as well. And so um, we're anticipating this to be a good report. This is one of our highest conviction names in our portfolio. And I think it's going to continue to do well. To your point earlier, Scott, um, whether we're in a work from home environment or not, digital marketing is a backbone of companies now. Okay. Pete Nigerian, Toll Brothers. You own Toll Brothers stock. That's uh, companies reporting on Monday. Yeah, uh, they, they consistently beat Scott. Uh, they, they've been very, very consistent about that, and I think they can beat again. I think the problem might be, I think the delivery, deliveries are going to be strong, but I think that the problem that they might have is the average selling price. And so that's <laughs> something that I think we're going to have to weigh into this. Now, this is a stock that has come back 
in an amazing way, though. You go back to March, it was down to $15. Now it's all the way back to where it, it started, which is close to $49. It's off a little bit today. But I still think this is a name. I, it's a quality name in the building area. I'm in multiple builders right now. I think this one will beat, and I think it's going to be a strong quarter. All right, Shannon, back to you. Costco, they report next week as well. That's at the end of the week on Thursday. Yeah, November uh, sales numbers were great. Uh, should be a good quarter. Positives are they're seeing growth across all categories, which are sort of the middle of the store is higher margin for Costco, and we're um, seeing continued uh, strong sales uh, outside of kind of the food on the on the periphery. Um, you could see get something to watch is gas comps. Um, those are likely down still year over year, but they should improve quarter over quarter and should keep improving as we're driving more. Okay, Pete, Lululemon, you own Lulu shares. I mean, this has been an interesting stock lately, Pete. Um, year to yeah. date, it's up big. You know, three months a little more muted than that. What do you, uh, what do you think Lulu's yeah. going to deliver next week? Well, it makes some sense, Scott, that it's a little bit muted of late because it had made that huge move to the upside. I think it's up something close to 60% year-to-date or something like that. Yeah. And the stock has been on fire for all the right reasons. All they do is beat. They're a strong company. They've got a great balance sheet. I think the reality is when you look at their digital sales just last quarter, 100, up 150%. That says a lot. That's why you're looking at a, a PE level that is trading at a, a kind of a lofty area, in my opinion, about 50 or 60. So, but if you've got that kind of growth and they can continue that kind of growth, I think in the society that we're in right now, and we all know so much stay at home and the clothing and everything else, and the fact that they've gone into different categories, men's as well, I think this is a company that continues to beat, and I think it's going to be a strong quarter. Okay, and lastly, Jim Labenthal, you know, Thor Industries delivers uh, earnings on Tuesday. You're not in Thor, but you want to talk about Winnebago as a relation to Thor. Exactly. I mean, they do the same thing. They sell recreational vehicles. Winnebago has the Chris Craft uh, marine business as well. But if you look at these companies and Camping World Holdings, which is also a competitor, uh, they peaked in early summer and since have drifted off on the idea that as we reopen, maybe people aren't going to be as into RVs. But here's the thing. The data supports that the RVs have been selling really, really well. So I expect Thor to report good numbers and to have carry through for Winnebago. Both those stocks have turned around recently. And I I think they're set for new gains. Okay, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. Pete has unusual activity next. And as we go to break, take a check on the S&P sectors today. Pretty good Friday for the market. As you know, we'll take you to the wall and show you the sectors with the S&P up about 25. Well, we're cut off a little bit. But we'll fix that in a minute. I can't see which is number one. Neither can you. That's a problem. We'll back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, there's the wall. We fixed it. Energy, that's number one today. The sector's up nearly 4%. The S&P is good for about 24. Now let's answer your questions. First up, a video one for Jenny on energy transfer. Hi, this is Lou from Collegeville, Pennsylvania. I have energy transfer, ET, in a Roth. I've since learned you shouldn't have an MLP in a Roth. But my question is, should I continue to hold or sell that now. Thanks so much. No, Lou, thank you for the question. Jenny, what's the answer? So the, the old school, misconceived, conventional wisdom of you shouldn't have an MLP or a partnership in a Roth or in a regular IRA, I think that's wrong. And I've heard this for years, for 20 years almost, and it's like the old school green eye shade accountants who propagate that myth. Because what they're saying is you're still going to need to pay taxes on the distributions. The reality is you only need to pay taxes on the unearned business income from it and only if it's over $1,000. So the UBIT tax that it would generate is usually very, very, very little. It almost never goes over 1,000, even in a reasonably large IRA, whether it's Roth or regular. So I think you actually should hold them in IRAs. They're very, like, unless you have a $20 million or $10 million IRA, for the most part, you're not gonna bump into the place where you're going to need to pay taxes on that. In fact, I'll put up an article on my Twitter after this. Um, so that part, misconceived old school misconception. On energy transfer in particular, look, it's got a 9% yield. They beat earnings when they announced about a month ago. Really strong pipeline assets. So I would hold that whatever account it's in. All right, good stuff. Next, a video question for you, Shannon. Hey, Halftime, love the show. It's Brandon from Connecticut. I want to know your thoughts on JP Morgan. Do we buy, sell, or hold? Or is there more downside from here? Thanks, guys. Okay, what do you say? Well, thanks for the question, Brandon. Uh, so JP Morgan, I think, is continues to be a buy for us. Uh, you know, if you like this in a flat yield curve environment, you're going to like it even more if we get some yield curve steepening draw driven by economic growth and inflation. Um, there's been some missteps lately, particularly with the PPP loan program and some questions about the handling of that. I think that's near-term execution risk, but could offer a good buying opportunity. Um, this is definitely a good long-term hold to be the core of your financials exposure. Okay, thank you for that. Farmer Jim, to you from Carroll in Florida. What's the outlook for Walmart? Now a good time to buy? Well, this is a simple answer. Take a look at a five-year chart of Walmart. It's almost a straight line up and to the right, and it's going to continue. We know that retail sales are high and growing. Uh, we know that Walmart's got a fantastic online presence. 26 times earnings is right where it should be. This thing's going to continue to grow as it has in the past. All right, to Nautilus Pete now from Chris in Omaha. What can we expect from Marvell following earnings, Pete? Yeah, Scott, I think the, the interesting thing here is uh, they have high demand, but the problem is they weren't able to address it. They weren't able to get after it. And I think with this acquisition that they've made, I think going forward, they're going to be able to add to the supply chain. But right now, obviously, because of the pandemic, they did have some issues. But that's always a good problem to have is way too much demand. And that's, that's exactly what's going on here. Stock sold off a little bit. 
I think that's an opportunity. All right. We're working on Pete's shot to get him back up again. But thanks for calling in, Pete. You stay with us, I hope. Uh, Rob Seachin from Pete in Connecticut, not Pete Najeri and somebody else. With 30 years till retirement, asks Pete from Connecticut, do I need bonds or can I minimize some risk by making a part of my IRA quote unquote safer with stocks like Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, Verizon and J.P. Morgan, etc.? So this is the the all time question, stocks versus bonds, specifically dividend stocks versus fixed income. And I don't think that rates are going to move enough to impact dividend stocks. And I also think that you're going to see a capital allocation decision that's done by other long term investors, actuarial investors, think insurance companies, foundations, endowments that lead them to stocks versus bonds. So I think I think you can buy stocks. I think that's a pretty smart decision right now, given the absolute level of interest rates. OK, thanks for that. Coming up, we've got unusual activity with Pete. We'll do it next. All right, we're back. Pete's still with us on the phone. Pete, unusual. Tell us what you have. Well, Scott, we talk about these semiconductors and how much activity we've had in those, and we're still even seeing today, just to give you an example, we got Micron, we got other, other names, but Taiwan Semi stuck out for me, and the stock was trading about $101. They were buying earlier in the week, they were buying the December 108 call, Scott. This time, they're buying the December 109 strike calls for a dollar, about 3,000 of those being bought up today. I did buy those. They've got a, a decent enough of an expiration cycle, a couple of weeks, so I, I like this name, and I think this is a name that can move to the upside in a pretty big hurry. Zing is my second one. Now, Zing is a gaming stock. We talked about this one in the past. We've had unusual option activity in here many times, but stock was trading right around 850, and we had a buyer of nearly 12,000 of the January 8th expiring. Those are the nine-strike calls, and those are going for about 30 cents, so a very, very large buyer there as well. So that's that's something that really stuck out to me. I, I like both these names. I decided to grab both of these. One's got a little bit further out ex expiration cycle with Zynga. But I'll tell you what, Scott, the unusual options that we have been seeing lately have been – I've never seen them so strong as what we've seen of late in terms of volume, in terms of size, and in terms of being right. It's been more accurate than I've ever seen. So, maybe, maybe that uh, – just an incredible week. Maybe, maybe that speaks, Pete, to the, the fact of, of how active you have been with buying calls and things like that, right? I mean, we're, when I go to you at the top of the show often, certainly lately, it's like 15 things. Yeah, it's been incredible, Scott. I've never seen anything like it. And just to give you a small example, we average right now over the last couple of weeks, we're probably averaging very close to about 35 million contracts per day. Just to give you a, a comparison from that, 2018, 2019, we were averaging close to 20 million contracts a day. This gives you a little bit of an idea of just how much more active we are on a consistent basis. There is options activity every single day, not just the Robin Hooders. This is, this is actual huge size buying and selling that we are seeing in the options world. Yeah, and mostly call buying. We have seen a lot of call buying, including today. We've seen spiders being bought. We've seen all kinds of different areas in the market. Almost all of what we are seeing today was very bullish paper so far. Mm, interesting. Good stuff, Pete. Thanks for yeah. that. Shan, I want, to, I want to finish up some business with you. Uh, not unusual um, uh, activity in, in any way, um, but you bought analog devices, and I didn't get to it at the top of the show, but tell our viewers now why you like this stock here. When it hits an all-time high today. 
Well, mostly because I felt so left out every time we talk about Sammy Scott. So I felt like I finally had to buy one so I could be part of the conversation. Uh, no, I, I think this this is a great stock. 50% of their revenue is exposed to industrial. We've talked about the uh, the desired increase to cyclicals. Um, the maximum integration, we think they're going to continue to be able to deliver um, you know, mid to single digit growth on both EPS and also on the dividend. So they pay 80% of free cash flow back to shareholders. We like the stock. We want the semi-exposure, but we also want to make sure we're getting paid for our, for our investors. Okay, thanks for that. We did mention rates, uh, interest rates on the rise lately. Yields on the 10-year hitting the highest level in nearly a month now. We'll talk to the futures traders to find out where they think rates are going, how you should play that in the futures market. We'll do it next. All right, let's do the futures outlook. Ten-year note yield hitting one-month highs, as we just said. Let's bring in Brian Stutland of Equity Armor Investments and Scott Nations of Nations Indexes. Scott Nations, I turn to you first. You're on the left-hand side of my screen. What do you got for us? I think yields are going to continue to go higher, Scott. You know, they, they jumped about six bips right after we got this unemployment number because it seems now that a COVID rescue deal or relief deal, more likely, particularly if you consider what uh, Majority Leader, Leader O'Connell said yesterday. And, Scott, we have another thing going on. We have huge supply coming into the market next week. Uh, we have $118 billion of notes and 30-year bonds due to be auctioned next week. So given what the reaction of the jobs number, it's going to be tough to find a home for all of that. Brian, we going above one? Well, then we're staying there or what? Uh, I think we are, Scott. You know, I talked about it the other day. I think if we get above 1% here, watch for 150 rather quickly. If you look at some of the technicals, that's where we break higher. Really, when you look at 90 basis points is really the downside. If we break below there, that to me indicates very bearish for the stock market, a flight to quality and a movement into there to send rates significantly lower. But until we see that, it looks like we're going to pop through this 1% and then go to 150. So, you know, be careful of a rate rise here. It's the reflation trade that's going to happen in 2021. That's what I believe is going on here. So watch that 1% level here. All right, guys, good stuff. Have a good weekend. I'll see you next week. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, let's do final trades. Jenny, you are up first. This week I had the pleasure of attending the Credit Suisse Technology Conference, and one of my takeaways is that there is huge opportunity in the coming years for AI in ways that we don't even realize. IBM is underappreciated in their ability to participate in that. Meanwhile, it has a 5.2% yield and a 10 trades at 11 times earnings. Wow. I want Pete to tell me what he thinks. Is Pete still with us? I'm with you. Hey, Pete, what do you think about Jenny IBM? I'm, I'm right there with Jenny. As a matter of fact, I, I own IBM the stock. I've owned it for a long period of time, and uh, I, I think she's right. I think they're on the cusp of something great because of all the changes that they've made in the last year or so. That's why I went to you. What's your final trade, Pete? I'm going to give you a micron, and the reason I'm bringing that one up, Scott, is it hit twice already today. We've seen it multiple times before that. I talked about the semiconductors earlier, but when a name hits twice in the same day and we've barely gotten through the first half of the day, that tells me that somebody really thinks this stock's going higher. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Have a good weekend, Pete. Shannon, what do you got for us? Uh, thanks to Jim for joining the CRM trade. I love the Slack deal. Um, you know, the total addressable market for Slack and Teams is large and undersaturated. And so I think this, similar to the Tableau acquisition, it seems like they paid a lot of money. Okay. Um, but CRM's a buy here. I got to be real quick, Jim. Salute to the general, General Motors. Okay, Rob Seachin, real quick. 
IEMG, dollar story, vaccine story, and catch-up story. All right, good stuff, everybody. Great weekend. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.